everybody. Thanks again for joining me for another edition of March 4th with Mike Bauman. Whoever you are, wherever you're listening from, thank you so much for tuning into the show. I hope that you and your loved ones are staying safe and doing well. I hope that when you're out in public running errands, doing what you got to do to survive, I hope you're social distancing. I hope you're wearing a mask. And above all else, man, I really hope that you guys are being good to each other. You know, I say it on every show as an ode to my grandpa and what he used to live by, which is keep the faith and be kind to one another. I say it at the end of every podcast, you know, for some of you, faith might mean a belief in God or a higher power. For some of you, it might just be faith and that things are going to get better, you know, in your personal life, in what's going on in the United States and what's going on in the world with this virus and just having a positive mindset, taking the right steps every day, you know, living, living with a positive mental attitude. But uh, I really try to live by those words, you know, keep the faith and be kind to one another. And the golden rule, man, you know, we all learned it when we were kids, you know, treat other people the way that you want to be treated. I was raised that way by my parents to treat people equally. And I hope you do in your life, in your personal interactions, in, in, your, in your daily interactions with people, whether it's strangers, whether it's people you know, the world needs more love, man. You know, I'm not a political expert. This is not a political show. But uh, that's, that's my advice, man. You know, treat everyone you meet as if they were you in a different life. You know, that's a, that's a quote that I, that I heard one time and, uh, you know, I thought it was really, really a beautiful one. You know, treat everyone you meet as though they were you in a different life. You know what I mean? Everybody's going through something that we don't understand, you know, and it's obvious we got a long way to go in our country with, with the way people are treated, uh, and with the way, you know, certain people and races are treated, it's, it's, it's sad and, and, and dis- disgusting, really, to be honest with you, to see things that have transpired just in the last month. Um, but all that being said, man, um, the only advice I can give you as just a dude is uh, just love each other, be good to each other, do what you can in your daily interactions to help people, to be good to people, and uh, and, you know exercise your voice in a peaceful and positive manner you know register to vote and try to make a positive impact in the community that you live in and and with the people around you you know so all that being said man spread the love thank you so much for listening again you can check out the show on spotify march 4th with mike bauman you can check out the show on apple Podcasts, march 4th with mike bauman the artist formerly known as itunes apple Podcasts, and you can also check it out on the host site at march4th.podbean.com as well as multiple streaming apps such as Podcast Addict, such as the Podbean app. So thank you everybody for checking out the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really appreciate it. It's great to have y'all here and you know and hopefully this show can be you know uh, you know ideally and hopefully it doesn't sound like too self-righteous or anything like that but uh, you know really I hope that this show just as a slice of positivity for you in your daily, you know, or your daily life. You're only doing two episodes a month, Mike. Um, hopefully this show, when you check it out, and yes, it is bi-monthly right now because I'm balancing it with my work and my day-to-day living, man. Uh, but hopefully it's, it's a positive slice of your day, you know, whether you're checking it out in the car or whether you're going for, the, or for a run or, you know, maybe my voice just puts you right to sleep, uh, you know. Uh, I, I just hope it's, uh, you know, it brings some, some, some good vibes and good energy your way when you check it out. And, uh, you know, really the, the, the goal for it, man, is to just spread positivity and inspire you and your life to pursue your dreams, whatever they may be. In this particular episode, 
really, uh, in my opinion, exemplifies sort of the, the whole theme of this podcast, which is perseverance and moving forward. This dude is, is, is somebody that uh, I have a lot of respect for as a musician and as a human being. He's always been kind to me. I've always enjoyed our conversations. He is none other than Doc Coyle, one of the guitarists in Bad Wolves, also a Vegas Nerve, also of his own podcast, the X-Man Podcast, which is a great listen, especially if you're a fan of heavy music. And I'm not just saying that because he was kind enough to do my show. Doc's a great conversationalist. He's somebody that you know, is interested in a lot of things, interested in pop culture and music. And, um, you know, on his show, he has a lot of people who have been in his musical circle over the years. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a really good listen, man. So definitely check out his show, the X-Man podcast, but, uh, he's had quite the journey, you know, in the last almost decade since we first talked, you know, back when he was in God forbid. And I reached out to him after listening to the Equilibrium, excuse me, tongue twister, the Equilibrium album and really enjoying it. I don't know what that voice was. Um, it's kind of like my grandma. She always used to tell us when we would go out to eat, stop with that potty talk. You boys, stop that. Um, I love you, Graham. Um, anyway, I digress. What were you talking about? Yes, Doc Coyle, Mike, back to the show. Um, but uh, he's a good dude. We we got in touch you know, back, like I said, when I listened to Equilibrium. I love that album. My first exposure to those guys was actually at McGuffey's in Dayton, Ohio, back in like 2010. It was February 2010. They were on tour with Shadows Fall and Five Finger Death Punch. And it's so crazy now to think that I saw a show like that in a small club in Dayton, Ohio. And you fast forward a decade and Five Finger Death Punch is one of the biggest bands on the planet. And they play these arena shows and have these big stage shows. And it's so awesome to to see where they've gotten to over the years. And also to see them you know, putting other bands on like, you know, Bad Wolves and Nothing More and Fire from the Gods. Um, so any Hoosers, uh, Doc has had quite the journey over the last decade. And, um, you know, this year, you know, it's been crazy, you know, again, huge understatement, but it's been crazy for everybody. And um, for him to take the time to get back in touch with me and do this show, Given the coronavirus, given all of the things going on with bands everywhere, with concerts being canceled, and and also you know with the tragic loss of of his mom, my condolences again, Doc. Um, I I really appreciated this guy taking time out of his day with everything that's happening in the world right now um, to to talk to me and to do this podcast. Um, it's it just shows you his character, man. Like I said, the guy's always been good to me over the years. I have a lot of respect for him, you know, not, not only as a musician, but but as a human being. You know, he's just a good dude, man. He's good people. So without further ado, I'm going to shut my big yapper and give you guys my conversation with Doc Coyle. Here it is. How are you holding up, uh, all things considered? Uh, I'm doing all right, man. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I think for for myself, I don't really, you know, to be truthful, I mean, my day to day when I'm at home isn't that much different now than it would be, <clears throat> you know, if it if all this stuff wasn't going on. I mean, it's more like my social life and you know everyone's social life, obviously. But um, in terms of you know my day to day, I'm you know I'm just constantly kind of juggling a lot of different projects at any given time. And so, you know, I'm 
whether it's working on music, working on the podcast or different kind of little business ideas or collaborations or just whatever. I'm just, you know, there's all, you know, my girlfriend's like, Oh, what are you working on today? Do you have anything to do? I'm like, I, I always have a pile of things that I'm always behind on. I always feel like, so it's, uh, you know, it's just a matter. So even on uh, Memorial day, you know, I was, recording you know half the day you know i just got out for a little bit and hung out for a little bit but it wasn't like oh it's holiday time it's like no i mean every every day i feel like (laughs) i need to be getting something done so really i mean this uh, starting this it's like i feel like there's been so much life just from a distance you know kind of knowing your story with god forbid and and making this transition to california so it's like I feel like asking a simple question is almost like a loaded question in some ways because you've lived a lot of life. I feel like in a like a four or five year period, you've had more experiences than probably even people in your profession, I would say, uh, maybe experience in the course of their careers. But just, you know, in doing some research for this podcast, I'm like the path trying to steer it down, like knowing some of the questions you've been asked before, you know, wanting to make it something that's not just you rehashing something you've been asked a hundred times, like one thing that I do find interesting and just like the thread of this podcast being perseverance and moving forward, like you had the guts to make a change at a time in your life in your early thirties, going out to California where you've kind of talked about on other shows and interviews you've done. And even on your own podcast where a lot of people might've taken a completely different path. So like, what was the tipping point for you that ultimately made you just go, you know what, man, I'm, I'm just going to do this. Cause I feel like there's a lot of people who get to that point and they, they, for whatever reason, they don't, they don't make that leap. And you made that leap. Oh, I mean, it's really two things. I mean, one, just leaving God forbid and kind of that whole process of essentially having this one constant in your life, your entire adult life. And all of a sudden it's not there. You know, it was scary, but it was also very liberating. You know, and I could think about things in in a different kind of way. You know, you don't really realize how much gravity, you know, something like that has in terms of just the the general decisions or I want to try this, try try that. And it was a period in my life where I was just kind of really trying to embrace opportunities. And and I kind of was just even before I, I quit the band, I was really trying to be very realistic about how old I was, what I thought my prospects possibly could be, what my potential was, you know, and, 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 um, you know, so I'd kind of built up some amount of stability, you know, even before I left the band and and was kind of like, okay. And then I I started this other band called Vegas Nerve. And actually I decided it after talking to my singer in that band, because he was saying him, him and his wife were looking to move to California. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll, let's do it. And I, I just kind of made a decision in a moment. And I never do things like that. Um, and I kind of just made the statement, made the decision in my mind, told people I was going to move. And I, and I started taking steps to, to do it. I had nothing holding me down. You know, there was no, I had to see some jobs, but anything, nothing that, you know, I was working at a bar called Duff's at the time in, in Brooklyn. And it was a cool job. It was fun, but it wasn't like, all right, this is what I'm going to be doing for the next 10 years. You know, I'd already been there for five years at that point. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like the right time. You know, it seemed kind of hopeful. So I, uh, yeah, so, sorry, they're like making noise out here. They're 
doing lawn stuff. It's like, shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always when I'm doing a podcast. It's like, and it, it's never the same day. It's like, it'll, it'll be on Thursday, and then it'll be on Saturday. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, yeah, I just I just had this this moment of you can do whatever you want, you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, people don't realize how much the big, big decisions, you know, in their in their lives, be it getting married or having children or taking on a, a career, buying a house, that in some ways a, a particular accomplishment also keeps you tethered to one kind of path. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I was really embracing the idea of living free and living light and being able to have, be able to do things that other people might. I, I used to think that I was like missing out on all this stuff, but then I realized it was actually kind of great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's cool too, because like, I've heard you talk about how you didn't come out here with like, or come out to California rather, you didn't go out there and say, okay, like definitively I'm going to do like, I'm going out there for A, B, C, and D. It was like, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to put my hands in these different things. Like the success or failure of however you define that individually. It wasn't like I'm going out here to join this band and do this thing. And it sounds like that was kind of freeing for you too, in terms of like, you can put your nose to the grindstone and work hard, but you're, you, you weren't making music like the thing that had to like pay your bills and do all that. Is that right? Well, I was coming out here to give music professionally an another shot. Um, I can't really say specifically that, you know, it was, I'm going to do X. It was, but I, but I was kind of thinking about the idea of being a hired gun type of individual or being someone that could, you know, essentially weave myself into uh, a working musician. I was basically felt like that was my best skill at that point. But at the same time, I was still, I had, uh, you know, been writing, you know, pretty consistently and had some success with that. You know, I remember approaching a friend of mine about, you know, getting some work writing and didn't hear back. And, you know, so it's that, you know, things like that in my mind. But I was al always thinking about, kind of the big picture you know as I was like oh LA maybe I'll try you know, doing some acting or maybe I was keeping a very open mind about what I could do but um you know once I got here my, my car broke down and so I I uh, I was only supposed to take about a week to get across the country and I ended up being stuck in Chicago and Denver for almost three weeks so I had spent a lot of the money I had and I didn't have a car when I got out here <laughs> so it was really the the stress level of just trying to survive when I got out here was through the roof, you know, and but it was also I felt like it was something I had to go through. You know, I felt like I had, you know, I lived with my grandmother till you know, I was 30 something years old. And, and even though I paid rent and stuff, it was still there was still that security blanket, you know, but just kind of removing that and saying, hey, I'm going to do something that's really difficult and I'm not going to have. There was there was no net to catch me. You know, I had to I had to really use my my own wits and hard work and kind of guile to figure out how to not only survive but you know achieve some type of great success. And like I said, I, I wasn't really sure what that meant. You know, I just kind of you know a buddy of mine, uh, Mike, who works at um, Ibanez. You know, he just said he's like, yeah, he's like, just say yes until you have to say no. So it's basically like a mentality of just like, 
oh, you want to do it? Hey, Doc, with me? yes, and just figure it out. And then, you know, and if it sucks, whatever, you don't have to do it. But just, you know, and just say yes to everything until, you know, it, it's something that it doesn't, it doesn't fit, you know. But, um, but yeah, it's, I think putting yourself under that kind of pressure, you know, a lot of people don't make it, you know. Especially yeah. in LA, where it's you know it's a lot of transplants, people from small towns. You know they come out. It's expensive. There's a certain attitude that people don't necessarily identify with. But I found it a place that I just saw ambition everywhere. You know, and that was something I, that was very attractive to me of people who are really trying to do big things, and there was no barrier to entry. Anyone could be anything here if you're willing to, if you can, if you have the ability and kind of have that self-belief, you know? Yeah. I think there's something to be said for being in like the epicenter too, where you, where you're, you know, surrounded by people who are out there, you know, I've, I've just had my friend Lindsay Bowman on the show and she's like, uh, she's a country singer. You know, I'm, I'm in Nashville. I live in a suburb outside of Nashville, but, um, you know, she was telling me how people say, Oh, it used to be a five-year town and now it's a 10 year town. And what's crazy is when I moved to Nashville, I didn't realize that like, all kinds of music is here, you know, like you think from a distance, like me coming from Toledo, Ohio, where we were like, I guess a music industry term is like a B market, you know, you're surrounded by Chicago and Cleveland and Detroit, Toledo is like, like a, a C market. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will say though, to everybody who listens to this, I'm not, I'm not crapping on my hometown because I will say there's a lot of really great local musicians there. There's a great local music scene. You know, people don't know that back in the day, the White Stripes and like the Black Keys used to play to like nobody at like Frankie's Inner City and Mickey Finn's and stuff. So it is kind of a cool, it's got a cool music history and there's a good local music scene there. But, but my point I was just making was, you know, she, she's been here since 2011 and she kind of talked about that grind when she came to Nashville and just, I was like, so what's that like? You know, like she had been singing her whole life. She was like, yeah, like I just went down on Broadway. I started to meet people. You know, um, you know, people gave me an opportunity to sing. I, I met my my you know band partner and we formed this smoke and guns duo. So it's kind of like so I kind of admired that about people that, you know, you you got to kind of go where the action is. You know, I think what's cool about music today is like there's so much you can do and record where you're at. And, and but I think when you're in your town, wherever that is, whether you have aspirations to be a national touring band or you have aspirations to be a national singer, just somebody does it locally. There's something to be said for if you do have those national aspirations to go to the markets where it's happening and just being, being around people. Yeah. Especially when you're a, an individual and kind of uh, solo entity, I think, you know, you can, as a band, you can have, I think success locally because you have that kind of, you know, there's something about oh, a band from this area, a band from this area. But when you're trying to kind of link up with other people, I think you'll tend to find more like-minded individuals in a hub, whether that's L.A. or Nashville or Austin or you know um, Chicago. You know, there's obviously a few a few places out there. But um, but yeah, man, it's uh, it definitely is a is a is a mentality, and I'm definitely drawn to that. You know, and I and I definitely respect anyone that's willing to kind of put themselves out there and and take the risk, you know, because it's it is risky. You know, a lot like I said a lot of people do not. They, they're here. You know, they last for a little bit. I, I imagine that's what you meant when you said five year or 10 year town like they're out here for a while. They try and see what they can do. And then they kind of, you know, it doesn't really work out. And they, and they they go back home, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what's crazy is like. 
coming here like just as a as a fan of music and as somebody who you know covered it at one time for a local paper back home and and doing this podcast and stuff like it's it's always been part of my life and something that I've enjoyed and like again like it's just when you move to a bigger city because I lived where I was from for you know I lived in like the same 10 mile radius for 27 years before I moved to Nashville five years ago and like you get down here and like you can go to a little hole in the wall bar man and it's like you hear somebody singing, you're like, damn, you know, who is that? And it's like somebody you've never heard of that and just talent guitar pool players, is, drummers, is bassists, amazing. singers. It's crazy. Yeah. The talent pool there is incredible. And I, I think, you know, it might have the best music scene in, in the country right now. Um, definitely at least in terms of live music, you know, it's maybe there and then maybe, you know, New Orleans or something like that. But um yeah, it's 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 incredible. I've I've experienced the same thing in Nashville. You just walk in a random bar and the band's are incredible and and you know but i think places like that you know la is like that to a certain degree where you kind of see what you're made of and you can stack yourself up against the a professional class and kind of gauge where you're at you know and some listen sometimes that's revealing and some people are afraid of that but i think that can be helpful sometimes it's really good to know you're not at a certain level so that it says okay so maybe i shouldn't do this maybe i should focus on something else that i have a little more skill at and that's okay but i think you know there is tons of opportunity and um value in in coming up short yeah yeah and i think it's like what's that old quote it's sometimes it's like your best teacher is your last mistake you know you kind of learn through your failures in a lot of ways you know or or times where you didn't do the right thing you know you have to And, and like i said but a lot of people they just don't look at the world that way they are so afraid of, of of screwing up that they don't realize that that's just how it goes. It's you know there most things in life are just a first or second or third draft, but it doesn't mean it's it's the it's the finality and and you know that's you know and that was the kind of cool thing about being kind of a free agent type of character is that it puts you in different situations to meet different people and all you know you meet this one person through this one thing and then. You know, then you, that comes around down the, down the line, and then that leads to another thing. You meet another person, and you know, but you only do that by, like I said, by that say, by that saying yes mentality, and say, okay, I'm just gonna. This seems like a cool opportunity. Let me just see where it goes. And don't, you know, you get a lot of people too that they get wrapped up. Well, how much am I getting paid? You know, it's like, don't worry about that. You know, do you know, you know, it doesn't mean obviously that you shouldn't get paid for your work and and things like that, but right. Some things you just got like, all right, let's figure that out later. Is the opportunity yeah. cool? Is 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 this something I think I might enjoy doing? Is this people, is it a growth opportunity? But sometimes people focus on the wrong thing at the wrong time. And so, like I said, that's a, 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 that kind of not wanting to risk. You know, I'm, you know I've, I've always been willing to kind of put the chips in and bet on myself, you know. Um, and I get that's a lot, that's scary for a lot of people. But, you know, I think that's... Over the long haul, if you're doing a good enough work, it'll it eventually pays off. So, what was that transition like initially, man? I mean, I feel like you know your car breaking down—that's almost like something out of like a John Hughes, like planes, trains, and automobiles thing on the way out there. I got to imagine there's there's probably a little voice at part of you is like, man, I'm <laughs> I'm trying to get out here now. My car's breaking down. Like, what what was it initially like going from New Jersey? I mean, obviously you'd you had traveled all over the world with God forbid and in your musical endeavors, but actually living in a different place, especially like a California, like for me, Nashville wasn't like culture shock necessarily, 
but it's definitely a way different vibe from living in like a mid-sized city like Toledo, you know? Um, it was extremely humbling because right before that, I had just gotten a job, you know, working at the NBA. Um, one of the toughest things I did and, and it was, you know, so, so much, so much valuable experience. And, you know, after leaving the band, I kind of just seemed like, you know, right after I left the band, I, I went on tour with On Earth and I just had things kind of happening for me, you know, coming in my orbit. And I was like, you know what? I think things are, you know, I was kind of feeling myself, you know, I was like, oh, I left yeah. the band and, and things are just working out just fine. You know, I borrowed money to buy the car and it was kind of like the universe saying, slow the fuck down. You're, um, you think you're anointed or you think you've got this on lock. We're okay. Now we're going to make things really challenging for you. And the thing about that car was it was a challenge that never stopped because it, the, the transmission on it would never fully get fixed properly. So I, even when I got it back, it still was screwed up after I got it rebuilt multiple times. So eventually, so I kept putting money into it and have it still be messed up. And I eventually, it was just like this money pit and it was like this emotional drain it was horrible you know this is like you know i had the car for maybe another year and a half two years you know what when i was in in la so it was just like this kind of albatross i was carrying around but it you know in some ways it kind of represented you know the struggle you know yeah. of you know being you know it was the, i was 33 or 34 years old 34 years old and i was the poorest i'd ever been in my adult life you know, I remember one week, you know, I had like $20 to last the, what, to the week to like for groceries, right? You know, we're going to the store and like, okay, I'm going to get this. And you, you kind of figure out these ways to like get by, you know? And, um, you know, and then it's like this thing of, okay, when you're at rock bottom in terms of like resources. But I told myself I'm not going to like go and. I'm not gonna ask anyone. You know, I'm not gonna ask for a loan. I'm not gonna because I because my family already helped me out with and friends helped me out with my car. So I was like, I have to do this on my own. You know, and it was just like, and you realize how the system is set up to kind of keep poor people poor, and you know, and it's it's like it's a it's a messed up realization. You know, it's just it's this weird thing where like politically, like I I tend to. Um, I gravitate more towards left-leaning kind of ideology and policies, but yeah. as an individual, I kind of felt like, I feel like I almost think more conservative in that. I'm like, you got to rely on yourself and you have, to, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah. like you can't, like it's, if, if, if things don't work out, it's my fault, you know? Um, and so, you know, just, just getting through that. And like I said, in my, advances were just very incremental it was like very slow small steps one at a time one thing building on another um i really threw myself into the local scene and i just met everyone and i was out every night and i you know within a month or so it seemed like i knew everybody you know in town and it was you know and fortunately my experience with god forbid and having a name it seemed to go really far here people actually respected me kind of from the jump, um, which was not the case in the, in the East coast when I was in like New York and New Jersey people. I mean, people kind of cared, but it didn't really matter in many ways. Um, 
But out was that here, surprising to, to go to the West Coast and feel that compared to the East Coast where you were from? I mean, maybe it's just because on the West Coast, it's people from everywhere. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's like, so I think when you're from your home area, people always kind of view you as a local band. But around the country, they're like, oh, that's that band, that band that I see. All, you know, so maybe it's that mentality. Um, and I think it's just any edge you can get, right? So if you have me, person A, and person B has no name and they haven't, you know, they, they don't have any credits to their name. It just, by comparison, you look more impressive. So maybe just having any kind of resume carried some weight. So I don't know. I mean, but I had built enough of a profile to at least open a few doors. Yeah. And get some support. It, and I had a lot of friends out here, too, and that helps. Yeah, because Tommy, Tommy was out there, right? And, and John came out there around the same time that you moved, too, right? Uh, Tommy had been back and forth to LA in New York pretty much since he was in divine heresy. So that was okay. going back to like 2007 stuff around that time. Um, and then John is from, you know, he's from like Boston, but he kind of lived all over, but he's pretty much been out in California for, for a really long time you know, okay. since he was like a teenager, but he lived in like Santa Barbara or like Ventura, you know, kind of more, a little more North. But he's pretty much at this point, he's more or less LA based. Okay. And so I, I heard that the the first gig you did out there was with uh was with Rob Trujillo. And then that, that's yeah. kind of what opened the doors for the for the wedding band stuff. And like Stuart Copeland and a bunch of people were at that first show. You talk about what you were talking about earlier, just in terms of like showing your stuff. I gotta imagine that's kinda that's kinda cool and kinda eye opening at the same time to be part of a gig like that, just just pretty early on in your time there. Yeah, but like this was like what I said about kind of things coming together and having one connection from previous, it, it all connects. So I had a an all-star cover band called Rebel Noise Group that yeah. I started on the East Coast. And I wanted to start like a West Coast version of the band. And Ken Schalk from Candiria was the drummer, you know, and uh, he was filling in for Mass Mental. And for people who don't know what Mass Mental is, it's a band with Rob Trujillo and then a, and a second bass player, this guy Armand, Armand Sebelecho, who plays like a tenor bass, so two bass players, Brooks Wackerman, the drummer from Avenged Sevenfold, and then Benji Webb from Skindred, and then DJ C- who plays with like corn and stuff. But then there's one section of the set, uh, Whitfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe would sing these Black Sabbath songs with the band, and they always got a guitar player for those three songs. You know, they were trying to get, you know, Joe Holmes from Ozzy and Kirk Hammett and all these big name guys who couldn't do it. And somehow my name came up, you know, and, uh, you know, I came in, you know, jammed at the rehearsal and, you know, they were cool with it. You know, I ended up, ended up doing the gig. But it was but even that it's like that didn't happen because I was sitting around waiting for someone to call. If right. I didn't go out of my way and do the cover band. Right. And. You know, not not someone telling me, hey, come to I started my own thing, which was really hard. Like it was a lot of sweat energy went went into that. Um, then that never would have that connection never would have happened. And if I never played with Lamb of God and met Robert, he wouldn't have known who I was. So it's you know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. that opportunity arose, but it really, you know, you kind of have to plant seeds in your life that hopefully grow into opportunities down down the line and then i have to show up to the gig and actually do a good job 
you know. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, I was nervous, and but you know, when I went out there, you know, it's it's one of these one of those things like you'll for me, I'll be nervous and about any gig filling in for another person or doing whatever. But you kind of get out there, and then you're just that familiar energy takes over, and you just do your thing, you know. But uh, but we I did the gig, and the next day, um, you know, Rob calls me, and he's just like, you know. He thanked me and said, you know, said he just really liked the way I played and, you know, and, and he liked my attitude and he thought I would do really well out there. And, you know, it was just a nice, um, you know, just like it's just something you build on. That's just that that morale, you know, and and me, it's a, a thing like I always kind of have this imposter syndrome where it's like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm OK, but, you know, maybe, they'll, you know, they'll probably get someone better, you know, and it was kind of like that because I, they had another guitar player who would usually do it. And I would just kind of be the fill in guy, um, yeah. you know, and but, you know, you just take that and you do one thing and it builds to the next thing. And then I was I was playing with this band called The Killing Lights. We used to be vampires everywhere and did I want to say two gigs with them and then they kind of broke up. And then then I started playing with Mates Hall. Uh, all yeah. Cohen, the uh, YouTube drummer, and you know, did her band, you know, and that was all within, you know, maybe the first, you know, year that I was there. That you know, I was on my, you know, and at the same time, I was doing like studio stuff um, with uh, this lady, Militia Vox, who's from New York, who has her own solo project, but also plays with Judas Priestess, the female uh, Judas Priest tribute. And I was doing. St- studio session stuff with her and at the same time i also launched the vegas nerve uh kickstarter campaign to mix that record and then we ended up yeah. and i booked shows so vegas nerve did i think four or five shows out on the on the west coast and then we did like three shows on the east coast so i was constantly and then doing the cover band you know i was doing gigs with that and i you know and build putting that together so i was constantly doing things and then i started playing with the jam night uh, which was a big event out here um, at Lucky Strike, you know, and all, you know, just the biggest musician you could think of would be coming out and playing this stuff. And I eventually got in with that. Mm-hmm. So it just never stopped. I played, I filled in for Westfield Massacre, Tommy's other band, on bass, did a couple gigs with them, you know, so I was constantly doing stuff, you know. Yeah, I think it's a balance of like, I feel like it's it's like, the older I get, the more I realize it's three things. It's like you got to create your own luck. Like and like you said, you got to You got to put yourself out there. And then it's also that balance between saying yes and being opportunistic, but also just being a good person. Because like if you if you have a good vibe and, you know, I've never been in a band or anything, but, you know, you hear all the time in interviews and conversations with stuff. It is like a marriage because you got four or five, six or more different voices all the time. But like I got to imagine for you and I'm not just saying that to like you know, pump you up because you're, you're kind enough to do my podcast and get back to me. But I mean, you've always been very cordial in your interactions with me. You've always been really kind. I mean, getting back to me and stuff. So I feel like it's a combination of like, you know, hard work, being opportunistic, but also being a guy that like, Hey, you know, like this dude's good to work with. You know what I mean? I think, I think it's like, what's that, that book? It's like everything I, I learned, I, I, or everything I know I, I, I learned in kindergarten, something like that. It's like yeah. just being a good person and treating people the right way, I think pays off in a lot of ways too, because at the end of the day, somebody's going to work with you. It's like your personality and how you vibe with people has, has as much to do with, I would say, as your talent and your work ethic, you know, just being somebody who's good to be around. No doubt, especially with bands, because there are, there are a lot of, skilled musicians out, out there 
Um, you know, so I think with getting gigs and jobs, I mean, I think half, probably half of its ability, probably a quarter of it is like look and image. And that other quarter is, like I said, is is just, are you a cool person to be around? Are you, do we like spending time with you? And maybe in certain uh, instances like that shift, you know, that the, the percentages are different, you know? Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that chemistry and, and just being someone you can get along with. And for me, that's not like calculated. It's just the way I am. I'm, I just try and treat people like I want to be treated and all, and always, because I've been in the position where I was in a band that had some hype and some, you know, had some success. And I remember it was like right around the time, you know, MySpace was taken off and, I remember getting all this attention and people kind of reaching out and I was, I wasn't really present for it. I didn't really acknowledge it. And then when the band started falling off, then all of a sudden people aren't reaching out to you as much. All of a sudden you're not as hot as a hot a commodity. And as the band was winding down, I had to confront the fact that, you know, I'm not a big deal. You know, people, I'm just a regular person and that's okay. You know? And so it's like, Stay in that headspace. Stay in. I'm just a regular person. That that there's a good chance that even if I play my cards right, I might be back to doing the same jobs, you know, tending bar or whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, and that you can't get too comfortable in thinking you're Mister Big Shot, you know, because even if you have a big name or whatever, or you've done, you know, you did a thing, you know three years ago that does not necessarily dictate that's going to be something you can hang your hat on in terms of making a living forever. So you can't, so for me, it's just really important to never lose sight of that, you know, and always, always pretend like I'm that same guy who didn't have a band, who didn't have any money, who didn't, you know, and, and, and kind of approach things with that same hunger and same level of humility. And I've said not humility to the sense of like, Oh, let me be like, I think there's, a very kind of fake version of humility that people yeah. p- put out there. When I say humility, I mean being like low to the ground, like, like saying, I don't need that much. I don't need, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I'm yeah. saying like I can get by on that. Like that to me, that's true. Humility is saying is being kind of not attached to like your belongings, not being attached to, you know, people kissing your ass, like, just like, all right, I just, what's actually important in life, you know? So that's something I just think about all, all the time, you know? And it, but sometimes that hurts, that goes against me because sometimes maybe I don't give myself enough credit or put myself at a certain level, you know, that, cause in, to, to move forward and do bigger things, you have to believe that you can do bigger and better as well. So that's, it's a balance, you know, between not being too self-deprecating as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a fine line between like, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy in a negative way um, and then the balance between like confidence and arrogance. You know what I mean? Like knowing that you can do something. And I would imagine like being humble, being humble, excuse me, and being centered like like you hear guys like Tom Brady talk about that. Like even after all these years and all these championships, you hear people say like, yeah, when he goes out there, he's still he still acts like he's that guy who got drafted in the sixth round. Like that's still something like 20 years later. And then there's always part of you as like a fan of like sports. I'm always like, really? Like dudes won what six rings now? He still thinks, but, but then it's like, 
getting to that stage, even with like the whole last dance and everything, like you saw the story. I can't remember the dude's name from the Wizards, but MJ just like basically made it up to, to like motivate him to to go kill that dude like the next night. You know what I mean? So I think that there's part of that humility too, where it's like even guys who are really, really good at what they do, they have to have that chip to go out there and perform sometimes. Well, I think sports are definitively different than just about anything else. Team sports, because it is, you do rely on so many people and no one can do it by themselves. And I think one of the underrated aspects of team sports, even for professionals, is that so, you know, they just want to be guys hanging out with other guys and talking yeah. shit and having fun and that camaraderie and that, you know, just that thing that you've enjoyed with team sports ever since you were a kid. And then you become a Michael Jordan, you become a Tom Brady and everyone treats you like you're a God. And at, at some point you just want people to treat you like you're a person. So, yeah. they, so you look at that in the last dance, they say how much Michael Jordan loved playing baseball because he just loved hanging out with all these regular guys who treated him like a regular guy and yeah. that he needed that experience to just, you know, have some sense of, of himself. Cause it's, I think, you know, if you're a Michael Jordan, a Mike Tyson, a, you know, Michael Jackson, Prince, these people that are so famous, you know, that you just can't go anywhere. You can't, like I said, I, I just don't think you can be, you know, and I've seen it on a, you know, smaller level, with bad wolves and seeing how that has elevated and kind of, you know, just seeing the way people treat me and my band members and other bands that we tour with. That's like, I just think it's difficult to have people treat you like that every day for long periods of time and pretend to be normal, you know, because yeah. it doesn't, it fucks with your head. Um, like I said, it's to, to have a job every day you go out and 10,000 people are screaming for you and going crazy. And when your autograph and stuff, it's like, how do you like? I think you almost have to. To me, it's like confronting this thing called an ego, right? And when I was younger, I, I, that's all there was because I, I had very low self esteem, so I needed my ego to be the cool guy, the rock star guy, and then over, and that crumbled. And as I got older, and I, I developed a healthy relationship with my ego to say, okay, sometimes I need the ego to be kind of like the character that you play in public, you know, to kind of just assume that role. Because if you, as if I'm a humble person, could I really sit there and believe that I'm rock God, right? It's <laughs> like a, it's a, it's a diffusion of reality. So yeah. it is, so it kind of, so if Doc Coyle, the musician is the cool guy and the rock star, and then Doc Coyle, the person is humble, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you, it's, you kind of ride a line and sometimes you have to be that character to just survive. You know, yeah, emotionally, I think. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good kind of lead into to what I wanted to ask you about too. Was just, and again, it feels like <laughs> it feels like a loaded question to ask, but I've heard you talk about it on your own podcast. You did like a mental health podcast where you kind of did like a self evaluation of everything that you had been going through with zombie blowing up and you guys having this just meteoric rise, really. Um, and I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but Tommy was in Rebel Noise Group as well on the East Coast with you. You guys were doing that in California. And you mentioned you had the Vegas Nerve thing, the Maytal Cohen thing. Um, John and, and yourself are tight and, and 
you got involved with this Bad Wolves project before it was even called Bad Wolves, right? It wasn't it was Eye of Tongues initially was yeah. like the name. Yeah. So so going into, you know, this band and and uh, I also thought it was cool too cuz I was like y- you've you've done all the the guitar work in in uh over the years and especially like the God forbid stuff and you were even talked about, you know, learning kind of this genty kind of vibe that that these riffs were kind of coming from but and in this ride man and, and you're talking about humility and people treating you differently like what what is what who or what has kind of kept you centered through all of it where it's like walking that line of like okay i appreciate the success and i deserve this which you do right uh, i've worked for this but also going okay how do i prevent myself from you know, not getting too big headed and remembering when I came out to California and there was a week where I had 20 bucks that I had to stretch until Sunday. Like what's, what's it been like to navigate that through the the rise of this band? It's been tough because it's, it's not, you know, we're, the band's is getting bigger and my personal profile just keeps growing. You yeah. know? Um, so the truth is it, it's like, we were, you know, so busy, you know, that, I remember at the end of last year, you know, we did the five finger tour, like went almost up till Christmas. You know, I just literally didn't want to see anybody. You know, it like for some reason, I like just the constant touring and the constant people wanting to kind of get a piece of you and like it I don't know, it 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 has all these kind of misanthropic undercurrents, you know, that I think can affect the way you connect with other people, you know, and, you know, cause I've, se- I've seen it happen with other bands that were friends of mine that were at one level and then exploded where they become kind of like socially anxious, uh, people who don't want to be around, you know, yeah. and I kind of saw it happening to myself a, a little bit. It wasn't that I went, didn't want to hang with anyone. It was just, you know, there was some kind of grinding element to it. Like, and I ended up going home to see my family for a couple of days, but I didn't even really want to go. It was like my girlfriend had to like almost remind me to like book a trip home. And, and I went, it was fine, but it was like this really kind of like wanting to bury my head in the sand and get away from everything vibe. So in a lot of ways, everything that's happened with, you know, tours getting canceled as much as as terrible as that is, it's kind of been, I think good for me mentally to just not be on tour all the time. And like, I mean, at this point, only one tour has been canceled. So this is actually going to be a pretty, you know, we were going to have a lot of time off anyway, you know, cause we were yeah. basically had the May tour booked and then we weren't supposed to go out till July, which is still is, you know, six weeks away. So we were going to have a lot of time off anyway. So I probably would have been a better headspace anyway, but I do think there is a, a, a kind of, res- you know, consistent effect of just constantly being out all the time and, and the band being at a certain level and just, I don't know, but you know, but a lot of it isn't just that it's also me and account how I'm kind of dealing with it and kind of trying to figure out how to be still wanting to connect to people, you know, cause you know, it's in a weird way, what I wanted the most was some distance from people. And now it's like, I kind of gotten that. And now I want to be around people again, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like this, weird thing of uh human nature of, of like where you can be overwhelmed by too much exposure but then you also really need it as well so you know but i've i've i'm past that you know at one point in my life you know in my 
mid late twenties, like I needed to play shows to kind of, um, I don't know, to like feel a sense of myself or to have any like self worth. I would get like high from a show, and now it's not quite the same. Now it's more about. In terms of like needing validation, now it's more about playing really well and being a, an excellent performer. That's what I get off on is like yeah. just doing the job really well and feeling like, man, we nailed that. We really, we got, you know, just linking up. That's the thing that kind of gets me going now. So it's it's weird. I don't have the same. It's funny. I probably miss going to shows more than I miss playing shows. If that because yeah. I'm a very, so I love going to show. Like, you know, me, I'll go out to, I'll go to two, three shows a week, you know, when I'm home. Oh, uh, it's one of the things I really love about LA. So it's um yeah, I mean it's it's been tough, you know, kind of trying to balance that. And you know, but that's you know, you kind of hear about see, see this happen sometimes with like child stars, right? Where where when they're really young, they get super famous and then they like as soon as the show they were on or whatever the thing sucks, they just retire. Yeah. Because they realize they're like, fuck that. Whatever that was. <laughs> I don't want to do any of that. And like I said, and I'm not even getting, you know, I'm, you know, I'm five, 10% of that. And it's already like, whoa, that's a, it's a bit much, you know? And that really kind of speaks to who you are as a person, you know, cause a lot of those people that maybe they didn't become the most successful and biggest, the richest person, but they're probably so much more mentally healthy because they didn't, they don't need that attention to fill like, some gap or hole inside of them. Cause that's the people who really want that super, super big fame are fucked up and they, they need that love. And you saw it with Michael Jackson at the end, he would go out with the crowds and he would just like absorb the love because he didn't give enough love as a yeah. kid, you know, and he needed it because he was just a empty person, you know, inside. So was there anybody through all this when, when you had some of those low lights um, amongst the highs, you know, in terms of like outside looking in like, oh, Doc's killing it. Bad Wolves is killing it. Like, w- was there anybody like Rob or, you know, some of these guys that you've toured with or, or you know, been been uh, friends with over the years in the music industry? The reason I mentioned Rob is because I've heard you talk about him, too, and kind of your relationship. And Rob obviously him being, uh, Rob Trujillo. Oh, Trujillo. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and Rob and Rob Flynn too from Machine Head. I mean, those are both obviously titans in metal and in music in general. I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm not asking you to like, yo, Doc, tell me about all the private conversations you've had with those guys. But in terms of perspective on dealing with that level of, like you said, recognition and 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 you know, just being in a different kind of stage of your life now with this band. Um, you know, I mean, it hasn't been that direct, but I do, I do see how there are. People I'm friends with, musicians where their bands got way bigger than God forbid did, where now I kind of feel like I understand them more and they see, probably see it in me that like, oh, we have more of a shared experience as opposed to, because it's just a different experience. Like when you're in a struggling band that, you know, God forbid did have some success, but it's, if you look at our track of how we, well we did and look, you know, look at a band that was like kill switch, right. Who got, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times bigger. However you want to say it. It's just that their life is different and the yeah. way they, they, they see things is different and you have to, so you, it's kind of just like, 
And from when you're in that upcoming band that's struggling and you see a kill switch, all you do is see what you you wish you had, right? Yeah. But you don't see the all the work that they went through and all the the other kind of aspects of things they had to deal with. So it's it's not necessarily in, implied like, all right, I'm gonna have a conversation with this person to help me get through it. It's more just kind of identifying yeah. with people more. And I think with you know people like Rob, for example, Trujillo. You know, to me, I just, uh, for me, like, I kind of absorb through his actions. You know, just the way he kind of runs a rehearsal or the way he organizes certain things. He's just, I kind of, you know, I just, like, I follow by his example, you know, and I think it's because his methodology and attitude and obviously his great skill have gotten to where he is, and I'm just trying to, like, absorb some of that you know um so it's not always about direct advice it's more like all right i'm in a situation where i can learn a lot and i have to just learn and absorb it and and not you know you have to figure out those those scenarios and hopefully it does soak in somewhat he seems like a dude that has like that zen energy him and kirk hammett like when they're on stage, it don't. It almost seems like they're different people because they're just monsters. Like Rob, just his style, the way he plays and like moves around the stage. I got a chance to see those guys uh, on the Death Magnetic tour, and actually on that leg of the tour in '09, it was. Uh, I think one one leg, which which you filled in for Mark, right, was Lamb of God, Metallica, and Gojira, and then the mm-hmm. other leg was Machine Head and the Sword that I saw in Detroit. But just like the energy of those dudes on the stage. When you listen to them talk and stuff, it seems like that energy off the stage. They they seem like very centered, just kind of like Zen dudes that are just laid back. Is that is that accurate? Just in terms of being around them? Yeah, I mean they're they're I mean personality they're they're definitely very different. But I think when they play, I mean when they pick up their instrument, they're so in the moment. You know, they're not like. Uh, you know, a lot of modern musicians are very mechanical, you know, like it's it's about, all right, we have the song and we play it perfect and we're on a click and it's and it's and it's, you know, they sound like machines, man. There's, I mean, the you know younger generation is technically incredible, um, but there's a certain looseness and a certain just like they vibe out like they're really into vibe. And yeah. the way like they like way Rob moves on stage, he does that same shit at rehearsal because he's like feeling the music, you know, yeah. he's had, like he they understand. It's like the same reason that they picked up an instrument however many years ago is the same reason they played now. And that that's a great lesson for me, because like I said, so many people get um, bitter and they make it about, you know, you know, money or career as opposed to like, man, you're just, we're supposed to be like playing because we love to play. And so many people, cause a lot of, Hey man, should people ask, man, should I do this? Should I start this band? I'm like, I mean, do you fucking like it? I mean, what, I mean, what, <laughs> what's the, you know, because they get so wrapped up in like, well, can I, my band get to this level? We get, I'm like, yo man, you got to stop worrying about all that shit. You know? Yeah. I mean, because the truth is a lot of it you're not in control of the likelihood that you're going to happen to be in a be in a band that gets to a career level where you can make a living or make money is so low 
you know, and it really depends on who, who the person is and where station they're at, the kind of band. I don't, I don't want to make that as like a broad statement, but but it ultimately is like, do you enjoy it? Is it fun? Because it's it's, you know, for me that's what gets me through a lot. You know, when times are not, you know, when you're just beat down on the road and you just want to go home or you're dealing with bullshit or you're arguing with someone in the band, you know, it's just like, is it fun to get out there and and rock out? You know, is it fun to get to rehearse? Is it fun to work on music? You know, and and does it give you that thing? You know, because ultimately to me, that's like, you know, there's no, you know, there's a million jobs on the, on tour, right? There's the guy that drives the bus and there's the, the catering people and there's the riggers and the, the light people and the people, at the concession stand and the sound guy, and the light lighting guy, and I'm like, and I still, out of all the jobs, guess what? We don't make the most money out of those people, like at least bad wolves. Like I'm sure the five fingers and all those people, they're making the most money, but we're not at the point where we're just cleaning up. There's a lot of other people that make more money doing as a guitar tech or as a tour manager. So, but I'd rather have that job I have out of yeah. all those jobs. And that's just trying to keep perspective. You know, because a lot of people, like I said, people, and this is natural. It's not like a condemnation of, of humanity, but we tend to focus on the things we don't have and rarely the, the things that we do. Right. You know, so that's like, that's kind of the mental trick is like, do I enjoy Because sometimes you ask yourself that question, do I, am I having fun? And the answer is no. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, and that maybe that's because that situation, that's, and I had that moment with God forbid where it, came to an end you know where it was it was not fun it wasn't worth it you know just to be out there you know and uh and you know and so that that's what it is but it, that is ultimately that's one of the things when i look at rob and kirk it's like and we're doing this like cover band thing and they're doing it because it's fun they don't have to be there they're not making money you know kirk's spending money to do that shit you know and, yeah. and rob's spending money on, on rehearsals and stuff they're doing it yeah. because it's fun and they still love it and that tells you that they go on, they do all these tours, and when they're time off, they go and do more music, which tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, was that was that on your side? I didn't know if it was somebody in my yeah. Party. No, it's this this lady's car. So I'm saying, man, it's just it's people out here, man. Just relax. <laughs> no, dude. I have neighbors sometimes that'll be like on the porch talking loud and stuff, and I'm like, and I'm like, am I an old man? Because I'm like 32 now, but I'm like, yo, it's. It's eight thirty at night. What's what's going on out there? It's dark out. <laughs> um, what is it? What, I mean, I'm trying to think of it like I know you're a hoops guy, so I was trying to think of like if I made your like a comparison to your band just just for fun, and maybe it's just because I'm such a huge Pistons fan. But like I look at the synergy of your guys's band and what you guys have been able to accomplish in such a short period of time, and it's kind of like you and Tommy. John, Chris, Kyle, like all you guys have had um, had success at some level in, in, in other areas, but it was like there was something about when all of you guys came together where it was like it just popped. And whether you want to call it like lightning in a bottle or like whatever, you know, PC description you want to use to describe that. But I was almost kind of thinking about, and again, maybe it's just because I'm a Pistons fan, but like, and that team was so huge for me growing up when I was in high school. But I look at like the 04 Pistons. And, like, that was a team where you had, like, Ben Wallace was part of that Grant Hill trade. You had Tayshawn Prince and Rip Hamilton and Chauncey. Like, all these guys who were kind of, like, they came from these other teams and other areas where 
for whatever reason, their talents on those teams weren't as awesome as what they were when they finally came together. So I don't know, maybe that's a stretch if I thought on it more, maybe it's just because of my like liking of the Detroit Pistons. But I, I, I kind of look at you guys a little bit in that vein because it's like all these dudes were talented in other areas, but there was something about when they came together that it just took it over the top, you know? Is that too yeah. crazy of a stretch? No. A I mean, listen, fan? I mean, uh, well, the thing about that team, you look at it, one, it's probably the most one, the most balanced uh, championship, championship team you ever, ever see. Like you said, a lot of those people were castaways that were not perhaps respected or valued in, in the previous place they were. Um, and there's also not one, you know, maybe Chauncey Billups will make the uh, Hall of Fame, maybe Ben Wallace. We'll see. Um, so there's not like that one, like, superstar, you know. But I I would, you know, I think you could argue with that was that we definitely have some superstar potential in the band and talent. Um I'm not saying it's me, <laughs> but um, oh yeah, I didn't I didn't mean it as a diss from a superstar. No, no, no. Superstar, so I hope you don't. Well, take I'm just it that I'm way. just I'm just getting deep into the uh, the, the analogy, but um, <laughs> you know, I I definitely think it's a it's a case where there's a high skill level across the board in in the band, and and I to the to the degree where I don't even feel like the, the potential has necessarily been reached, where it's been fully taken advantage of all the, the skills in the band, and you know, and I just. You know, I think it's always awesome when when a, you have consistency with a lineup, and that's it. You know, and I just hope that that you know continues because it, it whatever is happening now, it's working. So just sometimes like don't 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 fuck up the sauce. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll see we'll we'll see how it goes. But you know, I, I do think in many ways you are correct. Where we've all had some success, but definitely nothing like this. So. What's it been like to learn from Zoltan, man? Like my my first exposure to God forbid was on the tour with Death Punch back in like 2010 on the War is the Answer cycle. I think that was uh, I think that was uh, Jason's first album with the band because that was their second record. And I remember seeing you guys in like McGuffey's in Dayton, and it's so crazy to think now that like how far removed Death Punch is from playing little clubs like that. Um, as his friend and having him being a manager of the band, like were there things that you saw maybe like a decade ago? I know God forbid was on the trespass America festival a couple years after that. Did you see the seeds of like him being this guy that just kind of knows like how to put things together from a business perspective and also being cool enough, especially in the metal scene where as an outsider, as somebody who's not a musician, like it kind of seems like it can be a little bit divisive at times where it's like, okay, you have, you know, death metal and new metal and blah, blah, blah. And then this band reaches this level. And these guys have been out here for five years. Like those early tours that you did with those guys, did you kind of see the seeds of, of kind of what he's been able to do and, and, and being able to be a guy who you've kind of likened to like the Dr. Dre and Snoop stuff of the nineties where it's like, Hey, I'm going to take these guys out and put them on and expose them to people. Well, I've had a good relationship with Zoltan since going back in the day, since before we even toured together. Um, and he was always a guy I would talk, you know, talk shop with, you yeah. know, so I've always been interested in kind of, um, you know, getting his perspective on, on things and, and kind of, uh, you know, knocking on his brain a little bit and see, see, see what falls out and kind of, uh, so to have him be in, involved at the forefront of what's going on with bad wolves. I mean, it just, I don't, it just doesn't happen 
without him. And you know, like I said, you know, go back before about you know being in a situation, a position to learn. You know, his perspective, which what sets him apart, I think, from the other uh, a lot of people in in, in bands, even bands that may, might be self managed, where you have kind of a really smart guy in a particular band, is he really gets the marketing aspect of things, and um, and which is is big picture. You have to be able to zoom out. And I think it's really difficult for a lot of musicians, especially in the kind of metal, more technically minded, where so much of the gravity is put on the playing that it really can kind of cloud people in terms of how do you connect to someone who's not a musician? You know, and that's the only way you can get as big as a band like them, or even as big as a band like like Bad Wolves. It's like most of our fans aren't musicians, they're regular people. So how do you reach regular people? Yeah. You know, and um, and a lot of that stuff, it w- coming up, it was not intuitive. You, you know, it's because I was that nerdy guitar, oh, just riffs, make the riffs good, make it, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, you just think that's the key. And that helps, and that's great. Um, but there's a whole other, you know, psychological element that, you know, it, and, and that goes for anything if you're trying to market any product or you're you know this is why a lot of times you'll see like a there'll be a ceo right that gets replaced at a company and it's like the company is it's like a movie studio and they like hired a guy who ran like general electric and you're like well how can you run this if you did that and like you gotta remember for those people it doesn't matter what the product is right they're just trying they're just their skill is running a company or making it efficient or making it profitable. Or if you're a marketing person, it's like, I don't care if I'm selling, you know, tires or water or stereos. It's the same idea in terms of getting people to connect with whatever you're, you're selling, you know? Um, so just, just that part of things and being part of those conversations. And I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm a, peripheral member of the band so i don't deal with a lot of the business so there's plenty of stuff i don't even get to hear but the stuff i've gotten to hear and see how things have come together um you know he he really gets it in a way that a lot of people just don't and then you know it started with just our merch and our logos and stuff like that like he designed that main uh wolf thing and it's amazing because like the the concept was to do something like like a sports logo you know that's something you know some conversations we had early on to make it feel like you're you know like you're wearing a jersey like you're representing for your team you know and that's pretty you know has been pretty consistent and has worked really well in, in terms of the merchandising the aspect for the band yeah man that's it's it's cool to hear that because it's like him coming from like I think he's from Turkey originally, right? Like I've heard stories about hungry. him like hungry, um, like how he like used like a coffee table or something to like make his first guitar. So it's like that's part of part of what I I enjoy about doing shows like this and talking to people like yourself is, you know, from a distance people see the Instagrams, the Twitter, and all that stuff, and they don't see everything that that went into getting to that point. You know what I mean? And 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 all the the groundwork that was laid to to you know you know, reap what you sow and enjoy the fruits of your labor, you know? Yeah. So transitioning real quick, man, before I let you go, because it's uh, it's something that I've noticed just as being like a hoops guy. And thanks again so much, dude, for your time. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Um, 
one of the fruits of your labor that I, I've noticed that you've enjoyed, and it's kind of weird how the universe works. Cause I, when I emailed you, I mentioned that I kind of wa- wanted to talk about shoes with you. And then I saw in like your Instagram over the last couple of days, you had all your J's laid out. I think I lost count at like 50 or something. It's not um, 50, it's 47. Like 47? <laughs> Pairs. Yeah. You're going to do this, uh, this Coils Closet um, series. But I want to say, and I hope this doesn't sound creepy, but I just, I have a memory like this. And as a huge basketball junkie and just sneakerhead in general, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I remember... Cause you guys like the Jordan ones is like part of like your, your thing, like what you guys wear on stage and whatnot. But didn't you have like a pair of like, and again, I, I hope this doesn't sound like crazy, but I thought I remember you having a pair of like black and yellow Jordan ones or something like back in like the God forbid days that I saw on like a photo shoot or something of the band. Maybe I'm way off base, but did, have you always kind of been a Jordan ones guy, even before all this money and stuff came? Was that always like the shoe for you? Um, no, I was. I used to wear like Dunks and Air Force Ones. So you probably saw me wearing like a pair of like yellow and black like Air Force Ones. Okay, like okay. low low tops. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it started kind of in in 2016. Um, and you know, believe it or not, though, mo- probably most of the money I spend on uh, shoes I made from like the podcast. <laughs> Like that was like my. That's awesome. Because I'm, I'm like, if I, I'm like, if I spend podcast money on shoes, it's basically like it's free, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, and then you know, and a lot of my my really nice shoes, my girlfriend has gotten for me for like you know birthdays and and Christmases and, and things like that. So you know, it's uh you know, and it it's it's funny because in many ways, like you know, uh, kind of opulent displays it's kind of against my kind of code of ethics. I don't really believe in, you know, over being overly kind of consumeristic or, um, or just things like, I think I don't want to have things I don't really need, but I yeah. definitely have a collector's mind. Cause I was a kid, I collected baseball cards, I collected comic books, um, and I collected DVDs. And then when I moved cross country, I was kind of like, I'm like, man, that's not really a great habit collecting and just you know i think one of my worst fears is being like a hoarder someone just has stuff you know so i I, even with that i still want it to be utilitarian like if there's a pair of shoes that i don't wear then i'll try and sell them or get rid of them you know um because they're to be worn it's like like a guitar i don't want a guitar to stick on the wall i want it play i want it to be useful yeah um and so you know we have to start in 2016 because i was i was actually with tommy we went to the store and he was like, because that's what he was wearing. It's like, oh, check check these out. And then I put, I bought my first pair, and it kind of like it was it was a game changer. And I was I was I was hooked. So is there is there like a Grail pair for you? Like, is there a pair that you have right now, or a pair that you want that like like for me, the white cement Air Jordan Three is probably my favorite ever. I have I have a pair that's like nine years old right now that's like beat up, but I'll probably never get rid of them until they start falling apart. But is there is there that pair in your collection right now that's like a favorite or one that you want to get that's a favorite? Um, you know, as far as the ones I want, there's nothing really over like there's nothing like, oh, I need to get like there's some that I have my eye on. But honestly, most of like basically what I figured when I when I really started learning about the history and what's out and what I like and what I don't like, I would just make mental notes of like, all right, when I get election money, I'm gonna get that pair. When I get election money, I'm gonna get, you know, and for the most part I've done that. You know, yeah. so there's 
Um, you know, as far as some of my favorites, you know, I think the the bread toes is probably you know just one of the just this this is a classic pair. Just feels good, looks good with everything. I got me my white Chicago Spider Mans. I love. Um, I wear those all my Marvel movies. Um, <laughs> anytime there's a Marvel movie out, I I wear those. Um, you know, I love. I have also a pair of the. Infrared 23 threes, white and black. Those are dope as hell. You know, I love it's funny. I have some like I have the, the Travis Scott's, the uh, Cactus Jack fours, which are probably those are worth like, a, like eight or nine hundred dollars now. And the baby blue ones, yeah, they're super sick. Um, but they kind of like if I wear them out, they kind of hurt my feet. So I'll be like, oh, my feet kind of hurt. <laughs> you have to, to kind of, you know, you have to struggle for the uh, you know. To just 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 to look fly, sometimes you gotta get endorse some pain. Um, I have these gold toe ones that are it's like this uh, patent leather that are just you know you wear those they're 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 very eye grabbing. Um, yeah. So I no there's there's a lot of pairs I, I love you know like I said if I didn't oh there's all the new uh, Sh- L A to Chicago's are sick as hell the ones where you can move the paint. Those yeah. Are like those those are those are hot in the streets. <laughs> are they comfortable on stage do you do you gotta like switch out the insoles or anything to have a little bit more a little bit no, more they're, they're, no they're re- they're really comfortable just on stage i don't really wear my really nice ones i usually yeah. buy mid- mids or for the stage or i wear highs that are kind of a different material like i wear these two like patent leather highs there's like a green one like this kind of royal blue that looks kind of purple where it's just like indestructible and they never look messed up um or i have these two like camo pairs that are like like i said because it's it's differences in in the leather if you wear the really nice ones you'll really beat them down yeah on stage with your the way you move and stuff so i try not to really wear wear my nice ones on stage until i until i get big like uh zach myers and i'll start wearing my nice shit because he wears (laughs) he wears like you know, three thousand. You know, three thousand dollars shoes on stage. I had no idea what a sneakerhead he was until I started going down the rabbit hole on with like the shoe tubers and stuff. And there was one in his closet. I was like, "Holy shnikes, that dude's got a lot of shoes." Have yeah, you seen? He's the... like hooked up with, but he gets every Jordan for free. Because they have a shine down Jordan, don't they? Yeah, yeah. He's been in a meeting with Michael Jordan. Like it's a different <laughs> level, but they also have a wall full of plat- platinum albums and. They've been in an arena band for 15 years. I mean, they're they're just a w- much different level. And he's, you know, he's involved, you know, Memphis. He knows all the Memphis Grizzlies. He's texting with, you know, uh, you know, those dudes. So he's he's on a different level. I'm just, you know, people are like, oh, you're like Zach. I'm like, I am not like Zach. I am <laughs> I am uh just a little baby pup. And the, and the truth is, I've uh at the end of the year, you know, because like I said, I because I I do think collecting and shopping can be a uh, an addiction yeah. you know and I, and I wanted to check myself because I always feel that because it's like you buy the thing and then you get and you want it and then it shows up and you get a little you know you get a little high and then until you need your next one so I, I, I told myself that I was gonna like slow down heavily on shoes and then focus on upgrading my home studio and putting money into that so that's this whole year and so far I've, I've actually held up to my uh commitment very well and so that's what i've been i've been focusing on equipment and gear like i said it's, it's not about 
being, like I said, being opulent or being a baller. Like I said, in some ways, I'm embarrassed, like to be like, oh, look at me. I don't want to do. I want to be the guy who like gets the the Lamborghini and is like showing off on fucking Instagram. I think it's pretty cheesy. Um, and that was not the goal. It was more just with stuff like that. It's you know the reason like we shot all that stuff because we wanted to basically connect more with the crowd and show them out. You know, that's part of my personality. Yeah. You know, so that's really the kind of what it's about, not to really, you know, show off and be like, Oh, look at all the stuff I have. Cause I think that's a little corny. Yeah. Yeah. The Nike dunk wolf and sheep's clothing was one that's, uh, that's one that's out there, but kind of like what you're saying, like, I'm, I'm not a baller by any means, but I thought, I thought those might be kind of, kind of up your alley they came out a few years ago and it was kind of a cool concept like from i think it was based off of like black sheep back in the day you know the song you can deal with this you can deal with that and the color of that album was like gray and black but the shoe was kind of cool because they had like like a like a sheep looking suede on it and then the swoosh kind of like it rubs off when you skate and there's like wolf teeth in there um so they're kind of the concept of the shoe is kind of cool it's it's a little wild but um well, hey, man, the, the last thing I want to ask you before I let you go, um, trying to stay away from that Punisher moniker. <laughs> uh, thank you again so much for your time, man. But uh, as far as hoops go, I know you're a big hoops guy. Like there's obviously been talks about them bringing it back and doing it in Orlando, probably just the playoff teams, maybe a play in for some of the teams that are that are real close. What do you what are you hoping for just as a is a basketball fan. Would you like the, them to see them give the opportunity to teams? Like if you look at the West, I think Portland, Memphis, and the Kings are all like three and a half games out of the eighth seed. Would you like to see that maybe like 12 teams from each conference and try to do like maybe a play in for those, those last teams that are right on the cusp? Well, they have to do some kind of uh camp, you know, uh, because how else you know people have to get in shape so so i think they need to have some kind of regular season uh just to kind of get people going but you had people like damien lillard said well if there's no chance to make the playoffs and i'm not going to play which i totally get um but listen i just want there to be playoffs and i don't and if there's no people in the stands that's fine i think it it is what it is i just want it's like anything, like you need the story to you need the end to the story. And uh I think there actually could be some really unique uh filming possibilities with no crowd. I think you could actually create some amazing camera angles and make the game even more dynamic visually, uh, depending on how creative they get. But yeah, that's that's all I want. You know, just just uh salvage the season in terms of making sure that we get a playoff and we get to a real winner and you know and obviously as just from an entertainment standpoint you know just we're all starved for 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 that stuff the last dance is over <laughs> so um so yeah it would it would be amazing man uh and then more likely next season probably wouldn't start till probably after the new year you know it'd yeah. be another kind of shortened season so it's listen this is affecting everyone and i and i get that there are a lot of um Vary, varying opinions, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and I, I'm I'm more on the listen. Let's try and open up things as as best we can, but also take into the real gravity of what's going on. It's like you know, over a hundred thousand people have died at this point. That's more than you know all the wars, <laughs> you know, that we you know in the, that we've had in the last 
you know, this like century in America and people, some people, Oh, the numbers aren't right. It's like, no, no, the, the numbers are right. They yeah. like, basically, uh, we average about 8,000 deaths a day normally. And we're well over 10,000 a day. So it's so the numbers are real. So that's, that's the one. And that, and people, people sit there and they, well, it's not as bad as we thought. I'm like, yes, but that's, we're all staying home. If we didn't stay home, those, it wouldn't be a hundred thousand. It'd be a million people. Yeah. If we didn't shut everything down, it would be crazy. So, um, so the, there is a real danger. And I get it. You and I are probably not going to die from this, um, and that's a good thing. But it doesn't mean someone we know won't die, and or get really sick. Like I said, there's plenty of stories about people that our age who they didn't die, but it wasn't good. <laughs> Yeah. They still went to the hospital. They still felt like felt like they were dying. It wasn't, you know, you look at Will Carroll from Death Angel who went into a coma, you know, from this. So it's um so I think it's I try and look at the full picture and scope and, and understand that I don't think there are any great solutions and it's just something that's gonna affect the world for the near future. And it sucks. You know? And I think some people feel like they're entitled to never have anything suck. <laughs> you know, like I get it. You know, it seems like kind of that way, right? The American dream. I should, I should be able to do what I want, and I, 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 I'd be nice, right? But it doesn't. You know, I don't know. It's like it, it, I feel like if this is how we act with something like this, what well, well, something even crazier happens? You know, I think it would be it would be, it would be pretty bad. You know, so it's a it's a tough time. But I empathize with everyone that wants to get back to normal. Um, and hopefully, you know, I said with the sports and everything else, kind of step by step, things start slowly coming back into, you know, normalcy, you know, sooner than later. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so, too, man. I hope so, too. Well, Doc, thank you again so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. I told you I keep you for around an hour and you, you were kind enough to go a little bit over. So thank you so much for your time and uh, let, let the people know where they can find you. I'll put up the links and stuff, but for people out there listening to this, who may be a little new, uh, where, where can they find you out there on the internet? All my stuff is my name at doc coil, D O C C O Y L E. Check out my podcast, the X man podcast. It's E X dash man with doc coil, uh, doc coil.net. Check out my stuff online. It's not updated. My fault. <laughs> uh but yeah man just you know me i'm i'm very easy to find i'm out there always doing stuff and you know having a good time well hey man i'm I'm never somebody who's short on my thank you so i I genuinely mean that man truthfully i really appreciate it It was it was cool and uh surprising to be honest uh just that that you got back to me and uh were kind enough to give me some of your time today man especially with all things considered um, you know, even though I don't know you personally, I'm, I'm sorry again for your loss and everything you've dealt with over the last couple of months, just in the midst of the coronavirus. So for you to take time to come on here as I'm trying to get my show going again and, uh, you know, kind of give people insight into your journey, it's just really cool, man. It's, it's humbling. And, uh, I, I mean it when I say thank you, dude. So I really appreciate it and, uh, and stay in touch and stay safe, man. Much love to you and yours. All right, brother. You take care, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. See you. That was my conversation with Doc Coyle. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. You can follow Doc on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Doc Coyle. 
Also, go check out his podcast, The X-Men, and check out Bad Wolves, man. Their new album, Nation, is out right now. No Messiah is a personal favorite of mine off of that record. And even though we don't have live music right now and we don't have the summer concerts and the summer festivals like we're used to having with everything going on in the world, there's still a lot of great bands and artists, Bad Wolves among them, who is continuing to be very active on social media and put out exclusive content for their fans. So make sure you go check out Bad Wolves' Patreon. I will make sure I link that in the episode description at march4th.podbean.com. They actually just did a funny video for Coil's Closet. And as you guys heard towards the end of our conversation, we talked about Doc's sneaker collection, and that is actually a sneak peek that they're doing with Coil's Closet into his sneaker collection and his Jordan collection. So make sure you check out Bad Wolf's Patreon page. I want to send a personal thank you to Doc. Doc, if you're listening to this, thank you again so much for coming by and taking time out of your day for one of the little guys like me. It was extremely humbling. I really appreciate it. With everything going on in the world right now and with everything that you've been through personally over the last couple of months with the tragic loss of your mom, it was really, really humbling for you to take time out of your day and your life to do my podcast, man. So thank you so much, and I want to send my deepest condolences to you and your family and your loved ones for the loss of your mom. And I want to say thank you to all of you for listening. You know, and as as a footnote uh, to this episode, I know I said in the beginning that, you know, I'm not... A political expert and this is not a political podcast but that also doesn't mean that I'm oblivious to what's happening or that doc is oblivious to what's happening in the world right now we actually recorded this conversation on May 26 and that was the day after George Floyd was tragically murdered and literally in like the coming days was when all of that started to make the rounds nationally and everything else started to follow suit and, and everything that we've gone through in the past month in this country with tragically another murder and, and more things happening. Uh, all of that came after we recorded this conversation. So if you were listening to this and you're like, oh, I thought it was weird that they kind of touched on coronavirus, but they didn't talk about what's going on in the world right now. It's, it's not that we're indifferent. It's not that we don't care. We literally just recorded this podcast before all of that blew up and, and, and made its way around the United States and around the world. So I will say again, what I said at the top, man, that while I am not a political expert and and this isn't a political show, I was raised to treat people equally. I believe in equal rights. I treat people how I want to be treated. And my advice to all of you is what I say at the end of every podcast and ode to my gramp, keep the faith and be kind to one another. You know, use your voice to peacefully and positively make an impact in a positive way in your community. Register to vote and be kind and loving to every single human being that you meet. It makes a difference, you know, not just for social media, you know, and, and sharing things, but, but you know, when nobody's watching and, and you're just living your regular life and it's not about, you know, putting stuff out there. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not knocking you if you do, because I think it's, it's, it's positive to share positive stories to the world, you know, for people who are having a bad day, you know, and they, and they see, you know, a good deed that somebody does and, and it, you know, spreads like wildfire and goes viral on social media. I think that that's great. So I'm not saying don't share charitable things that you're doing or don't share positive acts of kindness that you think are going to help other people. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm simply saying when the lights are on and the cameras are rolling or whether you're living your own life and there's not video and there's not, you know, audio of what's going on, be good to people, man. The world needs love. The world needs positivity. 
and I'm trying to do that with my podcast and these conversations that I share. So I hope that this brought a slice of PMA to your day. Thank you again for listening. You can follow the podcast on Spotify, March 4th with Mike Bauman, Apple Podcasts, March 4th with Mike Bauman, and you can also check it out at the host site, march4th.podbean.com. And on that note, I want to say thank you again to Doc. Thank you to you all. I really appreciate it. Keep the faith and be kind to one another. Tropic Bombs, take us out. Peace.